we would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another exciting moment here at FanX. We're here with author Michael Brent, which we always seem to find here. And, um, <laughs> Hello, Michael I, Brent I, I, I'm, I'm sure, you know. Uh, Matthew is with me as well. I'm sure we'll hear some dad jokes, s- sure. some mentioning of golden babies. Well, you don't know when a dad joke happens. It just suddenly becomes apparent. apparent. Oh. oh! I'm with you on it. Man, that was so much fun. I like this guy. I like yes. this guy a lot. Yes, I'm sure you will. So, um, n- it's been a while. Yeah. It's been at least a year. Yeah, almost um, exactly. Exa- yeah, it's weird how that happens. Right. Um you're always writing, it seems like. Yes. It seems like you never stop. Yes, it's literally my job. Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> it seems like you don't even sleep either. You're just writing. And no, I definitely... Well, you know, it's funny because I get that a lot. People come to the table and they're like, you do so much work. I'm like, I, I don't. I mean, I work hard. Mm-hmm. I work 12-hour days, 16-hour days sometimes. But the reality is if you just sit and do anything every single day, it starts to add up. Yeah. You know? So it's like looking at it from that perspective, you do a lot, but I... For someone who does it part time, definitely. But I'm just kind of like trying to maintain a, a normalized output, and it just over time it accumulates. Now, on average, how many books per year do you put out? I don't have an average. I mean, I literally can't answer that just because it, it varies. Okay. Um, when I was first starting out, it was like, here's a dad joke. What's the difference between a pizza and an author? I don't know. You can feed a family with a pizza. <laughs> so, like, it's not, you know, it's not a job. People think, like, I'm going to become a writer, and people are going to dump gold on me, and I'll be happy, you know? Yeah. And in reality, I tell people I'm an extraordinarily successful author, and I know that because I pay my own bills 99% of the time. Nice. Um, and But it's not a job you get into for the wealth, you know? So at the at the beginning, I had lost my job. There was just a series of terrible events that let us, us left us penniless, Literally, we were homeless. It just, it was awful. And so I wrote as fast as I could because that was the only way I had of making any money. And those years, I'd write six, eight books a year. Wow. Um, nowadays, I try and keep it around three is pretty golden um, just because that gives my fans, you know, a consistent output to look forward to. Yeah. It'll, but it also allows me the time I need to prepare because one of the things a lot of authors don't understand as far as if they want to be their own boss and be a, an indie mm-hmm. is you don't just throw it out there. You know, there's preparation you have to do. You alert certain people at certain times. Send it to Publishers Weekly at this time. Send it to, you know, the library groups at this time. And it, and it takes a couple months to process through all that yeah. before you finally click publish. You know, one of the pieces of advice that a lot of authors give to up-and-coming ones is, Write something every day. Yeah. And if you don't know what to write, just write. Uh-huh. So when you're writing your stuff, are you always writing because you are, are you always working on a book? Or are there times in between where you're writing other kinds of stuff? Um, I'm, I do have to multitask because you make hay while the sun shines, you know. So um, I'll be writing a book. I got a, a funny email. There was a guy just reaches out through LinkedIn. And LinkedIn, you get a message, and it's like, oh, this is obviously a scam, you know. Well, it wasn't a scam. It turned out to be one of the largest... Um, He's the CMO of an enormous network solutions company. And he's like, I'm a fan. And our company has a newsletter that goes out to 8,000 vendors. So for Halloween, we want you to write a scary story. And oh, wow. we'll pay you this amount of money. You know, And as soon as I heard the number of zeros behind it, I was like, we will do that today. Um, <laughs> so you Reprioritize. Of, yeah, you, you have to be able to reshuffle and, yeah. and kind of adapt. Um, I'm not necessarily typing every day. And that's something that a lot, I, I encourage writers to move away from 
validation by word count because then you feel like I have writer's block because I didn't write anything today. And in reality, writer's block is where you're fundamentally incapable of coming up with a solution, which most writers don't get. What they have is, I gotta think about it. And that's part of writing. And if at the end of the day, you've thought really hard and you've come up with a solution and you didn't write a single word, you wrote that day, you wrote really hard. Um, so you gotta allow yourself that flexibility. So some days my wife is like, you're cranky, uh, I've got a question in my head. She goes, go to a movie. And that's part of my writing day because I don't just go and relax. I'll go and watch the movie with a notepad and start coming up with ideas because you know you have to um, allow yourself to enjoy creativity of others if you want to be creative yourself. So you know, I don't have, I write 3,000 words a day. There's days where I have written 20,000 words and then there's been a whole week where I didn't type at all, but I still made a cover, made business contacts, you know, talk to the random guy on LinkedIn. Um, and that's all part of your job if you're an indie. Nice. So when you jump ship, you know, kind of like what you did with the, that offer, mm -hmm. how do you get back into the story? Because you've already started out this story yeah. that's completely different, more yeah. than likely. And that is hard. And, and there's no easy answer. Some people can do that, like they're writing three things a day, you know, a little bit of each, and I, yeah. don't, I don't understand that, but I can I can bifurcate by a day, you know, yeah. so like, today's going to be my short story day, and I'll just work on that, and then tomorrow, I'll start something else. It's rare that I'll work in a short story in the morning, and then jump to my novel in the afternoon. Yeah, that would be tough. Yeah, it's, it takes a little bit of time to shift gears, and that's something that people who aren't creative, like, who are supporters of creatives, mm -hmm. you know, a spouse, or a boyfriend, or a girlfriend, or whatever, it's hard for them to understand that just the process of shifting gears, just the process of ramping up, that is part of the work and it's intense and it's difficult. So it took my wife, I don't know, we've been married over 20 years and it took her probably 15 to realize that when she comes out for a small question and interrupts me, it is a small question in her world. For me, it sets me, the two minute question sets me back an hour and a half. Yeah. You know, so she's great. She only interrupts with emergencies, but it's this inertial process um, and I, some people can do it very fast. I am not blessed with that. So I'll yeah, do my short story today and tomorrow we'll get back to the book. Yeah, I mean, I found myself that way. You know, if someone interrupts me, that moment, that flow is gone. Yeah, and you have to yeah. work harder to get back to that point. Yeah, and we're, you know, we're pushing a rock uphill. Yeah. And it's gratifying. Like, people who complain about it all the time are like, well, don't be a writer. You're not happy. Yeah. You know, your quality of life is terrible. Um, it is enjoyable for me but it is work and if a kid comes out and it's like oh the world's ending because you know you're my dad what's the problem the switch turned off in the middle of my game i'm like okay well you just cost dad let me explain this for you yeah <laughs> you know that was 1500 words just went down the toilet because i can't regain that process yeah. that i was in um but that's the same as any other job no matter what there's going to be times where you're like this is an unexpected cost of the job yeah you know be it Oh, it takes longer to drive there. Or I remember my first job was like at Carl's Jr. And they're like, you have to buy the uniform. And I went, wait, tell me that again. Like, you're you're I have hiring to pay me and for you to what? You know, but that's a, it's a business cost. And, and you yeah. put the bill. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the, my day job, there's many times where I'm in the flow of whatever I'm doing. And someone else from another department mm -hmm. interrupts me. And it's like, oh, man. Yeah. All right. What do you need? Yeah. And then I come back to whatever I was working on. I was like, okay, now where was I? Yeah. Oh and then you got to figure that back out. Yeah. You know, you'll see this represented a lot of times in TV shows and movies. We're going to have somebody working with, like, magic sparks in the air or a holographic display. Oh, yeah. And they're manipulating a whole bunch of different threads or different things in their display. And 
that's kind of what I think it's like. As as a programmer, that's the way I feel. I've heard authors describe that same thing. There's a million things going on in your head at that moment, and you're keeping them all in the air juggling. And when someone breaks your concentration, it's really hard to pick up those threads again. I know that as a programmer, I'll go through and I'll pseudocode things out. So I, just so I don't forget, because inevitably there is going to be somebody who's less considerate than your yeah. uh, wife and kids. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm giving you the time to do that. Oh, to- so yeah, that's a good analogy. I tell people sometimes it's like, you know, we've all seen that YouTube where it's like a domino thing. Yeah. And the dominoes go for a thousand yards and then it hits a marble and then it flips into the Hot Wheels car and then, you know, it causes a giraffe to have a stroke and eventually a balloon pops, you know. And it's like the balloon didn't pop. And I have to, it's not just that I have to re-rig the balloon. I have to go down through the whole track, yeah. figure out what part didn't work. Yep. You know, like you're regaining not just the thread itself, but you had a series of events in your head that were all poised. And you're not sure which one actually kept falling, which one is now off the track. And you have to, it's a diagnostic for the first 40 minutes. So, yeah, I like the software thing because it really is. You've got to have the ability to key in. And most people can't just like pick it up. Maybe there's really, really smart people uh, who can do that, but I think it's just speaking of sidetrack, like there's so many people who think authors are so smart, you know, because we come up with these universes and you're so clever for thinking of that. And I mean, authors are clever, but the reality is you read the book in, let's say, six hours and you think I'm astounding because I managed to fool you in six hours, but it took me six months to come up with that six hours, you know, so I hope I am. 30, 40 times smarter than you, it would appear, because I spent 50, 60 times more time on it than you did. <laughs> you know, that, that, that reminds me of something else. Do you have a series of books, or have you got a book that is complex enough where you actually have to worry about continuity? Yes. How do you handle continuity? <laughs> Lazily. Um, <laughs> so what happens is I avoid series, first of all, for that reason. Because it's like, I don't have to remember it. It's not going to be a series. So I just got to hold it together for the book, which is hard enough. Um, but like, so I'm writing a series called I Am Legion. It's, it's one of my most successful series. Starts with this book, Strangers, which was not intended to be a series. It was just a one-off book. It's about this family that wakes up and they find out they've been entombed in their home. Like a serial killer has sealed them into their home, you know, put sheet metal over the windows, bolted all the doors shut, and he wants some alone time. And I thought that's a cool story. It's a contained story. I could make a movie out of it, you know, good stuff. And I wrote it seven years later. I'm like, oh, wait, what happened the next day, you know? And I didn't have anything set up to make it into a series. And it was really hard because I have to go back and read every single thing that's happened. Um, Nowadays, if I know I'm doing a series, I have a couple things that I do. Number one is I have a concordance. You know, so for I Am Legion, the main character's Legion, and there's an entry on Legion, and it has, you know, appearance, age, injuries, because he's got a lot of them, and I don't want to be like, oh, he broke his arm in book two, and now he's talking about breaking the wrong arm in book four, you know? Um, On one level, if someone's catching that, they're already your fan, you know? Um, right. But you don't want to upset them. So I have a concordance, and, I, and it has pictures. It's like, here's the, here's the uh, movie star that looks just like my guy, because that's easier. Oh, what does she look like? Selena Gomez. I can remember that easier than brown hair, brown eyes, this body type. Um, so that's one thing. Another thing is, you know, you have beta readers and stuff. Um, if anyone listening doesn't know, a beta reader is the people who get the book before, you know, your publishing team, before the readers on the street, obviously. Um, so I have about 200 people who are on my street team, and they're like, 
I call them the Collings Cult, which they get a kick out of. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're my super, super fans, and they get all my books. And they're wonderful because I, you know, I say, here's the deal, read it, tell me what you think. Um, there's things they've kind of committed to do. Um, they never have to do more than that. But I'm like, if you have, if you notice a typo that I didn't catch, if you spot a continuity problem, please feel free to tell me. I would really appreciate that. And they're wonderful. I have just the nicest fans, and they'll write like I have a couple people who will write six, seven pages of like here's analysis of some stuff. Did you think about this? You know, do you remember the helicopter blew up in chapter seven, but he's still flying it in chapter nine? Um, because it is a three, four, five, whatever month process, and I have this cool idea in chapter one, and by chapter eighteen, I've forgotten about it completely. Yeah, you know, and, and the books don't always come out and or aren't always put together in sequential order. Yeah, because you'll cut, you'll get an idea and want to go back. Yes. and revisit a previous scene. Yes, yeah, yeah. So one thing I do is um, I have my you know I have a very basic outline. I don't super outline because then I feel like it's taking dictation from myself. It's not fun. Um, so I'll have a basic outline. If I have something, I'm like, oh, I realized he can't get out of here. He needs a helicopter. Um, so at the end of the book, rather than jump back and rewrite everything, I have a section called Notes and Corrections, and I'll just write a line. He needs a, cha- a helicopter by Chapter 7. And then at the end, I can go back and thread everything back in that right, I need. Right. Um, and that's been a really good manageable way of handling it because I don't have to have that heart attack and be like, oh, I have to rewrite 82 things throughout the book now I just do it all at once at the end Um, and that also allows me some creative flexibility because I'm not locked into the helicopter idea if I decide the very next chapter I'm like oh my gosh they should have escaped by riding a tauntaun well turns out tauntauns exist you know (laughs) they find a closet with jetpacks yeah yeah whatever works and, and it allows some flexibility but yeah don't be it's not magic you know people like idealize and identify if that's a word um it is now yeah i'm an author you're an author you're allowed to make up words you literally can do that what i do so people think it's this kind of mystical process and a lot of it is just craftsmanship you have a checklist did i do all these things if i forgot a thing i need to make a post-it note to myself that says do the thing later um and and that's stuff that you comes with experience yeah no i one thing that I really appreciated um, you know, that you did, because, I mean, beta readers are important. Yeah. I mean, I, I sent my, my first book to you, and you kind of read through it, and there's a part where I had some mutant squirrels, and you were like, so are we supposed to be scared of these, right. or, <laughs> or are we supposed to be laughing? Because if I'm scared, you, you missed the beat. Right. <laughs> um, and I had to go back through that, but that was, you know, my... For the first time, I hadn't done that, but that was very insightful and important, yeah. you know, for future references and other stories that, hey, someone else needs to read this because, yeah. you know, I've gotten like several chapters in or halfway through the book and that just didn't hit, hit yeah. to me. And it happens to everybody. Like, I, yeah. I won't name names. I, I, you know, you become friends with authors. Yeah. Um, and it's a small group, really. So I'm friends with some really big names. And one of them sent me her book because we're friends. She wasn't asking for input or anything. I just love this series of hers. And she wrote me and said, hey, do you want to take a look at it? So I did. And halfway through, she had an acronym, and it was supposed to be this awesome, badass, spy force kind of thing. And I was like, everything they're doing is amazing. The name sounds like it came out of a bad 60s Get Smart movie. Oh, yeah. You know, like, just it doesn't work. And as soon as I said it, she was kind of like, oh, crap, you're right, you know. But we get involved in ourselves, and my, you know, 
I don't know what I don't know. So my particular background, everything in it says, this will be amazing and awesome. Mm -hmm. But no one else lived that way. It turns out I'm the only person whose dad beat him with a wet noodle every night. Mm -hmm. So wet noodles are terrifying to me. But nobody else is really that scared of them. By the way, my dad's awesome. He never beat (laughs) me with a wet noodle. (laughs) Well, so like I was reading uh, a friend's book as well. And there is something that I can't. It happened like four or five times in the book. I'm like, you really need to look at this. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, what's the problem? I'm like, well, you're, you're calling this officer a jerk, and you're saying a jerk officer. <laughs> and they're like, well, what's wrong with it? I'm like, slow Say it, it slow. down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, you know, and they're like, oh, I'm like, yeah, you might want to change that. Yeah. And so, wanna, I make his name Jack. Yeah. Right. <laughs> It's like the guy whose last name was Bates in all the Dickens books. Yes. Like, Master so-and-so. Oh, why do you have us read this in high school? Um, One of, a person I met, I read their book, and it was someone who was starting out. And preface, he's not a pervert. Okay, Mm -hmm. like, I know the guy. um, He's married, very happy. They are happy together. But I was reading it, and it's just a psychological undertone, you know, like, hey, maybe I'm a butt guy, maybe I'm a legs guy. And I was like, this guy is definitely a boobs guy. Because every female character, her boobs were described. And sometimes people do that because it's titillating or because or they're perverts or whatever. He was just fundamentally, he's like, that's an important physical attribute. And he wasn't sexualizing them. It wasn't like they're, it wasn't like they're perfect round love mounds. It was just eyes, hair color, breasts. Do, 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 do. And I told him that, and he was mortified, first of all, but he had no idea. And we need people to point out our psychological quirks yeah. that others around us accept or don't even notice, maybe. you know, um, His wife hadn't caught it because, again, she's in on this whole project of a human that she's married to. Yeah. Um, and it didn't stick out to her, but a kind of quasi-stranger was like, dude, you sound like a creepy guy. And he got rid of that, and immediately it was a 1,000% better. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I mean, those those quirks that we have, you know, it's normal. So our yeah. brain just kind of swap yeah. jumps over it. Yeah. Um, that's why I love editors, because <laughs> totally. they'll look at my stuff, and it's like, oh, um, yeah, I didn't catch that one. My, my, my brain auto-corrected that. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. So... As much as I hate autocorrect, my brain does do it. Yeah, we have to. Well, sh- let's sh- shift gears for a second. I wanted to talk about one of your books that's one of my favorites. Aww. It's called The Longest Con. Yeah. Oh, you, you introduced this to me, and it was uh, everything you promised and more. Oh, good. Uh, and so give, us, uh, give, our, give our audience a little uh, summary idea of what's the premise behind The Longest Con. Okay, so the premise is everyone knows that people come to comic cons, Uh, to cosplay as monsters. What you don't know is that monsters come to Comic-Cons to cosplay as people. And this causes a problem because the monsters eat people and stuff like that. This explains so much of the people I have seen. Right? And and that's part of it is I go to Comic-Cons and it's like, how can I play with this? Um, And that's kind of the base concept. There are people who serve as under... They're called wardens and they're basically undercover marshals and they're there to stop the monsters from killing people. Or if they do kill them, to clean up the mess quickly before it affects pretzel sales, you know? Um, And that was kind of the base idea, murder, mystery, humorous set at a Comic-Con. The um, conceit of it that kind of, because you always want a fun idea and then a couple things that just add that little extra, you know, the frosting on the cake. And the um, conceit of it was, I am the main character. So as Michael Brent Collings, 
I am a best-selling novelist and I'm a screenwriter and I'm selling books, but I'm also like, oh, that's a ghoul. Oh, that's a demon. Keep those folks apart. Oh, crap. Cthulhu's nephew is here. He is going to eat those little girls, you know? And, um, and I know enough really, really successful authors. I called them. I'm like, do you want to be in a book? And they said, oh, like someone based me. I was like, no, man. Kevin J. Anderson, you're going to be in a book. As Kevin J. Anderson, who is a best-selling author of like 80 books, but also you're the chief wizard who's in charge of keeping the peace, you know, and the panel programmer here uh, is a guy named Blake Castleman, whom I've known for years, and in the book, he's like my handler, and Blake's such a nice, low-key guy, and in the book, he is terrifying. He can murder anybody, and it's like, it's not, would you do this, Michael Brent? It is, I will kill your family, you know? So there's this, um, there's this peace accord happening between werewolves and vampires at the con, and one of the main players shows up murdered, so Blake comes to me with Kevin J. Anderson, and he's like, solve the mystery. You have three hours, you know? Um, and it's kind of a love letter and an homage to Comic-Cons. I think it's it kind of sad when somebody just sits back and points mean fun. You know, I'm going to mock you, but I, I think it's delightful to be like, you know, we're kind of ridiculous fundamentally in a lot of ways, so let's enjoy that. So it's just, you know, everything silly about a con, and I amped it up, and then took everything silly about neo-noir mystery and amped it up and everything silly about urban fantasy like there's um, brownies in this world um, who just appear and the, the twist I made was every brownie worldwide looks exactly like Kevin Bacon not all the same Kevin Bacon some of them are footloose Kevin Bacon and some of them are a few good men Kevin Bacon um, and it was just silliness and fun and I, I had a delightful time writing it well, reading it was like um, being a fly on the wall with a group of author friends who got together just to shoot the breeze, yeah, right? Yeah. And it definitely had that. We're all just friends poking fun at one another. Yes. And uh, it's the best kind of fantasy. Mm-hmm. You know, it is like a true fantasy. It's a what if. It's an imagine what our world could be if these couple little things were different. Yeah. I loved reading it. I loved hearing the names of some of my favorite authors. And uh, Larry Correa as... Uh, Gun. Supernatural arms dealer. Oh, totally. I, I think that's the only part that's real. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's. <laughs> I mean, he, he does have a gun range at his house. Yes, so. for real. Yeah. Yeah, it was, I was, I'm really blessed that I have good friends who, you know, and I did say, if you don't like it, I'll send you a copy. And if you dislike it, I'll change it. It can be someone else. Um, but I'm really happy they all signed on. And there's probably 20 or so name drops of big people. And I got permission ahead of time from all of them. And they all were cool with it. So, and I get more requests for an audiobook of that one, uh, you know, where you're going to make an audiobook about it. And I have a problem with it because, like, it's one thing if you're making up a character, like, oh, my main character's name is Sword, and it can be this British woman giving the accent or whatever. But it's like it's, it actually is Kevin J. Anderson, or it actually is Blake Castleman, you know, whoever it is. I, I feel weird having someone, how's your Mercedes Yardley impression, you know? Yeah. <laughs> What if, what if you did an additional short story and actually had these authors voice oh, themselves? I should do. I actually have another short story on my Patreon uh, that's in that universe, and and uh, it's not. None of the other authors show up. Blake shows up, and he's like, "I'll give you a pass for the next con if you show up at a poker game I was supposed to be at." Um, uh, but yeah, I probably should. That would be a hoot, and it's. It, I just worry about disrespecting them. You know, I never want anyone to be like, "Why does she sound whiny?" You know, or why does he sound so weird? You know, it's just too much there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The only disappointing thing about that book is I'm not in it. 
<laughs> and there's no. I, you keep saying that. I there's know, a second book, and I'm not. It's, it hasn't oh, one happened of my yet. My assistants. I told him he'd be in the sequel if I ever do it. So he is always pushing that book on people. He's like, get five thousand of your closest friends to read. That must be Cameron. <laughs> yes, Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you heard it here first on Dungeon Crawlers Radio. Go out and read the longest con, and there will be a longer con <laughs> yes. in the yes. future. And I might be in it. For Maybe. Sure. I mean, yes, Daniel no, might be in this one. Yeah. No. I mean, it, it's a great story. And it has a lot of great, fantastic people that, you know, I know. And you hit it on the head with each character. I mean, Aww. yes, you know, some of them have a little bit more fantastical traits than they normally do. Yes. You know, like Blake can kill people. But, um, you <laughs> know, but Larry is that kind of guy. Yeah. You know, and, and Kevin J. Anderson is that smart, brilliant wizard guy. Yeah. And, and that's, it was funny, too. It's a twist because Kevin in the book, he is ruthless and horrifying. Like, oh, yeah. He's just do it or I'll lay waste to the village and part of the joke there is of course same with Blake they're just the nicest people yeah. you know so it's either exactly like they really are or it's the polar opposite yeah well not only that I mean Kevin does slaughter millions oh, in his book so it, it works out yeah yeah no it's based in reality my favorite person to do was actually DJ Butler who's a, uh, he's oh, a yes. Dragon Award winning uh, author and he's a good friend of mine and he's brilliant we appear on panels uh, together and I will occasionally what I do is like oh Dave's here so he's going to be smart and inform people and I'll be the dancing monkey you know um, because he's so smart and one time on a panel I was like I'm going to say something smart now you know I'm going to break my, my routine and try and be intelligent and David said the next thing and I was like never mind dancing monkey here we come because he's so smart so in the book and he's happily married he's a good family man and um in the book, he has been enchanted, so he forgets he's DJ Butler and becomes a walking Fantastic Beasts forensic machine. Um, because I was like, how could we make him even smarter and just hold more information? But then I was like, that's that's not cool. He's just already he's tall, you know, he's successful, he's a good-looking guy, he's super smart. I can't have him let him be awesome. So to get his information, he has to lick whatever it is he's examining. Oh, yes. So he's in this mystical feud going around licking people. And I just had so much fun with that and be like, Dave, guess what I made you do today? <laughs> and then COVID came out and... Yeah. Uh, <gasps> uh, COVID is his fault. Well, <laughs> in the, in the, in the, the follow-up short story, actually, I address that. I'm like, COVID was terrible for everybody except me because I don't have to go to Comic-Cons anymore. Nice. Deal with all these nightmares all the time. <laughs> that is amazing. So what is the newest thing that you have completed? Because you're always working on something. I just finished. It's not out yet, but it will be in about a month and a half-ish. Um, I finished book four in the I Am Legion series. So it starts with Strangers, and then there's Strangers Still and Stranger Danger. And the next book is going to be called Stranger Sins, okay. where um, the main character who's a, who punishes evildoers, that's what he's evolved to, he ends up in Sin City, which is just, you know, it's known for its evildoers. And yeah. letting him loose in Las Vegas was just too much fun. Yeah. Um, so that's going to come out soon. Um, and then I have a, uh, a course on publishing and writing, because there's a lot of people who do what I do at the level I do, as yeah. far as like they write successfully or, or much more successfully. Um, but I'm the only person in the world at this level, I'm pretty sure, who does 100% of it. You know, I do the marketing, I design my covers, I design the layout, I do the print, like everything. So I'm going to do a comprehensive course called Bestseller Life, um, and it's going to be at bestsellerlife.com, and that's going to start rolling out in a couple months as well. Nice. And, and as someone that has witnessed his content in, in this teaching, it's awesome. It is Aww. amazing. 
So th- I, it's going to be awesome to jump on and see all these things. As far as I mean, like the marketing stuff is priceless. Yeah. Um, and you know, putting this all together, it that's the one thing. You know, if you go to school, they teach you how to write. Yeah. They teach you the mecha- fundamental mechanics of that. But that's it. Yeah. They don't teach you the marketing and how to get your name out there and, yeah. you know, the churn you have to do just to get someone to recognize your book. Yeah, it's a grind. Yeah. It is. And, and a lot of publishers out there don't do that, you know. Yeah, even major publishers. I had a friend who's a, who is published with a major publisher, mm-hmm. and they're having their marketing meeting. And sometimes, you know, they're like, we're going to put a million dollars into the ad campaign or whatever. Yeah. But he had a meeting with him. He's like, so what's your, what's your marketing budget going to be? And they literally, with a straight face, were like, I don't know. What are you going to invest? <laughs> you know, so the answer was, we published it. You sell it. Yeah. You know? And so even if you're with a traditional publisher, it's not a guarantee that they're going to go out and work your book. And in fact, I had another person who was like, I have been in meetings because he's in traditional publishing where they were like, we bought this book and a month ago we were super excited. Now we're not. Um, but now this one, we don't want it pe- people to be confused because book B is going to be our moneymaker, we decided. So book A not only are we not investing in it, we're going to make sure it has a substandard cover so that no one's confused about which book they should buy. Uh, you know, and that's kind yeah. of a bummer. Um, yeah. And part of the reason I do so much indie work because, like, I might screw it up, but at least it's my fault. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the nice thing is, I mean, y- y- you definitely get more of the money, but at the end of the day, if it doesn't work, it's your, f- it's you. Yeah. And you can just tweak that and change that. Yeah. Where with the, when you're working with the publisher, you know, Sometimes they won't even agree. It's like, no, nope, we're not going to do that. Yeah. And you're kind of stuck. You're on the hook. Yeah. And, that, and that's okay, though, too. You just, I encourage authors who are signing a contract, and we've had this conversation. Yeah. Um, read the contract. Authors are a weird thing. We're the weirdest mix of narcissism and cripplingly low self-esteem. Oh, yeah. Because we're like, my story is going to change the freaking world. Peace is going to happen. Everyone's going to be happy. And angels will cover me in gold. Um, but at the same time, someone goes, I want to buy your book. And you're like, are you sure? Are you serious? I better sign this paper before they change their mind. You know, if someone hands you a contract, that's not the end of negotiations. That's the beginning of negotiations. Yeah. And so I have no, I, for real, I have no trouble with traditional publishing. I have great friends who are in traditional publishing as editors, publishers, mm-hmm. whatever. Great people in that business, just like any other business. There's yeah. goods and there's bads. But if you're going to get an offer, make sure it makes sense, not as a hope for the future. Like, if these eight things over which I have no control happen, then I'll be happy. Yeah. You have to look at it and be like, I'm signing this because as of this moment, this is a good deal. Yeah. Well, and there are lots of good deals out there. Yeah. Um, You know, and there are sometimes, like you said, Book B comes along and them as a business, they've focus their you know their, their attention on that and yeah. it's nothing wrong with you or your book no and you have to go with that and you do and so in some cases like i'm signing it because the benefit is i am now public even if it never comes out i can tell people i signed a deal with scholastic and there's yeah. value to that whether i see a penny or not you know for me it's like okay i signed the contract and they buried it like if i ever signed a traditional publishing contract and i've been offered them um and if i sign it it's because Oh, they buried it, but they already paid me an advance that was sufficient. It's what I would have made on my own. So I'm not I'm not going to complain. It's not lost time. It's time I used to pay for my family's food, you know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I really encourage people. You're an author. If you, be- if you really believe in your work, it means it has value. And you don't have to be vain or upsettingly proud about it and be like, 
I'm a diva, you know, mm-hmm. you do get to say, so obviously you approached me because of the value it has. It has to be a win-win, you know. I want to give you a million-dollar book, and I want you to be happy with it, and I want you to be extra happy because you're giving me $800,000, you know. And then, because then we're both winners. You've made money right off the top. I've yep. made money that's sufficient, and we both feel good about it, you know, versus I do think it's kind of opprobrious when it's like, I gave you this thing, you sold it to me for a million dollars, but it, it became Harry Potter. And now I'm really mad because all I got out of it was a stupid million dollars, you know, like, then you shouldn't have signed the contract. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. All right. Well, I'm amazed for we the main reason. About it. That it has not come up yet. <laughs> I've been saving it. I was waiting. The golden baby has not been mentioned once, and we are like 32 minutes in. You should have for my episodes, you should have like one of those previously on Dungeon Crawler <laughs> I Radio. know, previously. Just do like a super cut. That would be awesome. <laughs> um, which, it's, it's funny because it normally somehow comes up, it but comes it hasn't. Any, I know. It, feels, it just hasn't. It's it doesn't weird. feel organic. It, did, it didn't. You know? It didn't. So I, I we didn't figure out a way We to didn't probe it, it in there. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, you know, a solid gold baby. You know how those are. Speaking of solid gold baby. Yes. <laughs> so, For those who don't know, I made a crass joke about a solid gold baby being stuck up somebody's butt my very first episode. It was it was the very first time. Yeah. Oh, my God. It was, it was awesome, and it's always come back. And yes. so much so, there is one still on your, there is one yep. on your mantle you now. You gave me a solid gold baby one day, which is on, it is in my living room. My wife keeps kind of like. Moving, moving it? it a little <laughs> bit to the side, and then I just kind of move it a little bit back. It's one of the few things we disagree on, so it's good-natured. When company comes over, yes. the solid gold baby disappears, and that's just the way life is. So if you've got a manuscript that gets rejected, mm-hmm. is it worth it, in your opinion, to submit it to other people? And how far do you do that before you say, this goes back to the trash bin? Right. That's a really good question, you know, because that, those kind of questions are hard to figure out. There's no... There, if there was an external quantification where we could, you know, turn everything in an, into an objective numeric value and then figure it out, the, the job wouldn't be as fun and it would pay better. You know, that's that's how life works. Um, so what I tell people is, if a person says something to you, you are the author, you have all power, and if you think that was the stupidest thing I've ever heard, don't say it to their face because they're human beings. Um, but you can ignore it. You know your story better than anyone, and I don't care if that person is. Your, you know, 92-year-old mom who's grappling, grappling with dementia, um, or if it is Stephen King, you can, you have the authority as the owner of the story to go. You're wrong. Now, if 10 people who do know the business all give you the same note, at that point you should seriously consider taking it seriously and start to say, well, maybe the flaw is mine and I have missed something. So it's the same with books. Like if you write a book and you get 10 people who just say no, there's thousands of publishers out there. You might have gotten the wrong 10. Just keep going if you believe in it. If you get 10 publishers who say no because your character work is defective, your syntax is terrible, and you've never learned to spell, you know three areas that you are probably, are legitimately your fault. You know, And that's the only way you can base it off of. Um, my first book that I published with Kindle, um, which was called Run, I sent it to literally, I'm not exaggerating, literally every single publisher and agent in North America who worked with that kind of stuff. I got 100% rejections. They all said no. And, you know, the only reason I kept going was because I didn't have anything else to do. 
and I had a steady job. So it was like it was okay to do that, you know, to keep doing it and pursue my dream. But if I was sad and miserable all the time, stop. Um, now it turned out, and this is a, a good story too, that I put it up on Kindle because it was this new thing. A friend of mine told me about Kindle, and I'm like, ah, it can't hurt anything. And my first month, just right out of the gate, I sold literally like six copies, really. It was all to my mom, probably. She made six sock bucket, puppet <laughs> accounts and bought them all. But six months later, it was the number one bestseller on horror and science fiction. So even the publishers don't know everything is, is the motto of that. If, it had, if they were like, do you want to spend $1,000 and invest to publish this book yourself? I would have said no, because numerically it seems like no matter how much I like it, probably it's not going to be a hit. Um, but in this case, the cost, it was already done and formatted, and I went publish, and that was all it cost me. Um, and it worked out in that case. So if it's just a question of a massive wall of we're not interested, maybe move on, but maybe keep pushing, maybe believe in it. If it is a specific breakdown of points that keep appearing as critiques, that's probably something you need to address. So in... When you get a rejection letter, does it often contain feeds, feedback that specific? Um, I don't know anymore. Like when I did back then, some of them were, it ranged from, you know, form letter, no thank you, to, you know, specific, here's some problems, to I wish you would set fire to yourself so that the world doesn't have to suffer this kind of writing. I don't get rejection letters the same anymore because I know I'm either going to write a book for myself, in which case I've already vetted it. You know, it's going to go to press. If there's a publisher who's interested in something from me, be it a book or you know, if it's a screenplay or something like that, um, we talk ahead of time and I make sure they're interested because I don't work for free anymore. Um, the only person I do spec work for is myself. If somebody else wants to engage me, I'm not going to work for them on the hope of a maybe getting a payday just because that doesn't make economic sense anymore. Yeah, um, of course. Yeah. All right. Well, folks. It's that time. We're going to wrap up because we've stolen enough of your time. And no, I... I've given it freely. I've enjoyed okay. it. Okay. We haven't stolen time. But <laughs> you do have panels to go to. you got books to sell. Yeah. Uh, if you're already at FanX, definitely come uh, pick up a, a copy of one of Michael Brent's I'm books. D304. If you're not at FanX, it's anywhere books are sold, I'm, I'm assuming. Yeah, online. Like, I'm not um, in the bookstores yeah. and stuff because, you know, I'm yeah. one of those creepy indie publishers. That's, and stuff. that's okay. But, yeah, you know. I'm mostly on Amazon these days. When, the, when it, uh, COVID hit, I put everything on Amazon, honestly, just to make it more accessible for, like, Kindle Unlimited so people mm -hmm. who are struggling can still have some entertainment. And, and honestly, Amazon's everywhere. It is. I mean. So you can get me on Amazon. Uh, WrittenInsomnia.com is my website. Or you can just Google my first name, which is Michael Brent, all one word. I'm the only guy with that crappy, crappy, weird name in the yeah. whole world. <laughs> you know, it's better than Dan Wells when you search up Dan Wells at some weird uh, uh, European model. I know, which yeah. is actually the one who's the author. Don't tell anybody. But oh, you know. <laughs> he's secretly wearing a skin suit. Yeah, yeah, no. I was like, you are too pretty. You're going to make people mad. you got to ugly that up before you can show up. Here. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, folks. You're beautiful, Dan. Yeah, check out uh, Michael Brent's books. It, they're great. They're fantastic. Uh, one of the few novels that I, after I'm reading them, I have to turn on the lights to navigate through my own home. Um, True story. Which is which is weird because like I can watch horror movies and it's it's no big deal. But after reading one of those novels, uh, oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I, I mean, and, and another friend of uh, of ours, mutual friend, uh, Tom Carr. Yep, I knew you were going to you know, say this. He was reading a book, and next thing he knew, his handgun was in his lap. So, um, That's like his favorite story to tell. Yes. So, But that is how great these stories are, folks. So pick up a copy, and uh, we'll catch you next time. It was a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Remember, 
The Force will be with you. Always. 